five, four, three, two, one. Welcome to episode 41 of One Man Watchpoint, an Overwatch podcast where we talk about everything going on in the wonderful world of Overwatch. If this is your first episode, I'm your host, Sir Dr. JM. That's at Sir DRJM. You can, of course, find me on all socials, so give me a follow there. Reach out to me, uh, especially on Twitter. Um, I'd love to interact with you. I'd love to take questions, comments, concerns, topics, anything of that ilk, and discuss them on the show. Um, You can, of course, find this podcast over on all your favorite podcast services, including Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, etc., etc. So give us a follow there. Leave us a review. Uh, If you leave a review, I will read it on the air. Um, You know, tell your friends, all that fun stuff. Now, for today's show, we are going to be looking at a week's worth of news. Um, However, we are a little light this week, and that's, of course, because we are currently in between the May Melee Tournament and the start of uh, what will lead into the June Joust, so that second stage of the Overwatch League. So, not a ton of news to talk about. However, there are a few things going on, including the uh, anniversary event, uh, of course, happens generally speaking every may in overwatch so let's get on in there and we will talk about things playtime's over so our first news story this week takes us on over to forbes uh we have an article by chris holt posted on may 12th which reads a little something like this let me just double check things yep we're good overwatch league may melee viewership was up 51 percent from 20 to 20. the first overwatch league tournament cycle of 2021 is in the books and it was a fantastic few weeks of high level overwatch viewers seemed to enjoy it as well as viewing figures were up significantly compared to last year's may melee the tournament had an average minute audience the average number of people watching the broadcast at a given minute, of 95,000 viewers on YouTube. That's up 51% from the 2020 AMA of 63,000. The Overwatch League says viewership for each of the qualifying weeks in the West region more than doubled year over year as well to 89,000, 76,000, and 77,000 for weeks 1, 2, and 3 respectively. Viewing figures for the East qualifying matches and on other platforms haven't been disclosed. Live streaming platform Bilibili recently acquired exclusive Chinese production and broadcast rights to OWL in China. Still, that's a solid, encouraging start to the 2021 season after a rocky beginning last year following all of the COVID-19 disruption. Several improvements on the production side helped to boost viewership, according to the league, including live player cams, upgraded stream quality, you can watch matches in 4K on YouTube, and a better format for the regular season. Week-to-week stakes make matches more exciting, and with just 16 regular season games, each one matters more than ever. Having some truly excellent matches bringing together teams from the two regions and offering fan rewards for watching directly on YouTube probably helped too. The tournament model seems more and more like the right choice for the Overwatch League. It remains to be seen what will happen when the world opens back up, when the teams travel more often and fans return to live events. Any significant changes to the OWL format next year might impact audience figures again. But for now, at least, viewership is going in a positive direction, which is great for the long-term future of the Overwatch League. So good news all around in that sense. Um, A pretty significant jump in viewership, you know, up 51%. That's nothing to scoff at. Now, certainly, um, I think this was in large part expected. It's also in large part kind of a uh, uh, hard thing to truly gauge just based on the fact of, you know, think about a year ago last year, where we were in the world, how uncertain everything was. Um, And especially, I mean, just kind of, I was recently watching the uh, latest episode of Plat Chat, and they were, they did a tier ranking of every stage the Overwatch League has ever seen. And of course, they talked a lot about uh, this time last year, the, the May melee of the 2020 season, which was largely... Um, sort of a reactionary pivot from what was planned. Obviously, the start of last season was supposed to be uh, the homestands, the live events every week. Um, you know, season three was supposed to be a really big season for the Overwatch League. And that obviously um, started. We saw a few of those live events. If I'm not mistaken, we saw one in New York. I think we saw one in Washington and potentially... 
There was probably, I think there was one in California with potentially the LA teams or San Fran- and or San Francisco, as well as, of course, one in Texas. Um, so those were all very exciting, but shortly after those started, uh, the world went to shit and everything started getting cancelled. So, um, you know, we saw many of the live events air quotes, postponed, and then eventually cancelled. Obviously, a lot of them starting in the, what is now the Eastern region, what was then the APAC region. Um, So a lot of the Asia-Pacific games getting postponed, cancelled, delayed, whatever. Um, And then the league had to pivot, and that's when we got the May Melee, the June Joust, um, the Summer Showdown, etc., etc., which largely kind of laid the groundwork for what we're seeing this season. However, All of that was largely made on the fly. I I certainly don't think the league had seen any of that coming, just like most of the world had, you know, not necessarily seen the impact that COVID-19 would have um, as a whole. So, you know, really good to see these numbers uh, having such a significant increase. Um, Obviously, word is out. Obviously, the improvements have been noted and uh, things are getting better. compared to last year but but also you know with every broadcast so there we go let's move on to our next story now our next story comes from dottiesports.com an article by leonardo biazzi posted on may 12th and it reads washington justice off tank ria retires from professional overwatch Ria, a South Korean Overwatch pro, has hung up his mouse at the age of 23, he and his former team, the Washington Justice, announced today. The now former off-tank started his professional Overwatch career on RX Foxes in 2017 and played under bon- Bonds Spirit Gaming, X6 Gaming, and Hangzhou Spark before joining the Washington Justice in November of 2020. He most notably won Overwatch Contenders 2018 Season 1 Korea with X6 Gaming and helped Hangzhou Spark finish 4th in the 2019 Overwatch League playoffs. They then have the uh, tweet from Rhea Embedded, which literally says, I retired, and then 2017-07-31, so July 31st, through 2021-05-12, so May 12th of 2021. Quote, Today we wish Rhea the best in his future endeavors and after accepting his decision to retire from the Overwatch League to attend to family business in Korea. Washington Justice's Twitter post reads, We will miss your positive attitude and smile and wish you success on your journey of life. Rhea's decision to retire comes during an ongoing season of the Overwatch League that kicked off in mid-April. The Justice has been somewhat plagued by retirements in the middle of seasons. Rhea is the fourth Washington Justice player to move on from the Overwatch League. Riley Fasix-Taylor left pro play during 2019, and Corey Negra and Ethan Stratus Yankel retired in 2020. With Rhea's sudden retirement, Washington's roster is now down to eight players. The Justice are in fourth place in the current season of the Overwatch League, with a 4-0 record. They've defeated the Dallas Fuel, Vancouver Titans, Boston Uprising, and Toronto Defiant so far. So, um, obviously not not an incredibly uh, shocking retirement, simply based on the fact that Washington does currently have uh, two tanks that they are, uh, you know, for all intents and purposes, more in bed with. Um... I'm just going to pull up the Washington Justice roster here. I know they have Meg currently, and who is their other tank? Oh, uh, I believe it's Fury. Is that right? Yep, they have Fury on tank, they have Meg on tank. Um, So not incredibly surprising because, uh, you know, they're definitely going to be getting most of the playtime. You always like to think that there's room for a little bit more and room for some substitutions, but given how Washington has been playing so far, I'm not too certain they need an extra tank. So Um, obviously we wish Rhea all the best and uh, hopefully the Washington Justice continue on their path to success without him. Moving on from there, our next article is coming from the Esports Observer and it is an article written by Kevin Hitt on May 13th, which reads, Sources, Call of Duty League and Overwatch League loosen sponsorship restrictions, will allow betting and liquor sponsors. After the announcement that the London Royal Ravens Call of Duty squad had taken on esports wagering site Midnight as a sponsor, sources close to the Call of Duty and Overwatch leagues have confirmed with the Esports Observer that both leagues will now allow team sponsors from the wagering and liquor business sectors. 
Activision Blizzard, the parent company behind both the Call of Duty League and Overwatch League, has balked since the start of the league in allowing sponsors from the gambling and liquor spaces. This announcement appears to be a reversal of that philosophy. This new direction will undoubtedly open up new avenues of sponsorship opportunities as esports betting sites have, at times, stood up the counter-strike global offensive ecosystem and some others and while the overwatch league has signed deals with alcohol sponsors before such as bud light in the past teams had not been allowed to make those deals now they can this is a developing story um so sort of a in a lot of ways a minor story to uh to note there um you know shouldn't really affect too much of uh of you know what we see in the overwatch league except for the fact that we may see some brands and things like that um showing up that we wouldn't have seen before now this is actually a bit of a surprising one to me just for the simple fact of the toronto defiant announced a few weeks back that uh they had partnered with bud light in fact who was mentioned at the end of that article there and so i honestly didn't even know this was a thing that uh you know may or may not have been imposed on the league prior so i digress uh, more revenue streams for esports, more revenue streams for the Overwatch League only means uh, growth and good things in my mind. So next story, we're going to jump back over to .esports.com. This time we're going to read an article by Ethan Garcia posted on May 13th. And it reads like this. Overwatch League unveils format changes for June Joust. Overwatch League teams are going to have to devise new strategies in the June Joust with some of the most powerful strategies being taken out of the fray. The Owl revealed in a new blog post today the various changes coming to the structure of the June Joust based on the results of the May Melee. This month's competition will take place on patch 1.59.1 for all qualifying and tournament matches. Following the May Melee, where all heroes were available to players, the Owl is reintroducing hero pools that will take out selected heroes that had a 10% or higher pick rate throughout the first month of the season. For the June Joust, Tracer, Sombra, Reinhardt, and Zenyatta will be blocked from play in qualifying and tournament matches. These heroes won't be removed from the hero pools during the remainder of the season. They've then got the tweet embedded from the Overwatch League, a new month, a new joust, and a new hashtag Owl2021 meta. Hero pools are back. Check out who's on the chopping block. And they have a link to their uh, official uh, blog post announcement about this. But of course, they have an image there of out-of-rotation heroes uh, and an image of Terracer, Sombra, Reinhardt, and Zenyatta, as mentioned previously. The article then continues. The Overwatch League also announced changes to their tiebreaker structure heading into the June Joust, hoping to mitigate the need to play additional tiebreaker matches throughout multiple series. The new tiebreaker structure for the tournament cycle takes into account the following components. Number one, map differential. Number two, head-to-head -head records in qualifying matches. For ties among three or more teams, this step is only applied if there is a head-to-head -head sweep, i.e. if one team has defeated each of the others or lost to each of the others. Number three, league points of all opponents within the tournament cycle. The team with the most opponent league points will qualify. Number four, map differential of all opponents within the tournament cycle. The team with the highest opponent map differential will qualify. Number five, if a tie between two or more teams remains, postseason tiebreakers will be applied. The map pool is also being updated for the June Joust, introducing some new locations for players to battle it out on. The following maps will be in rotation for the duration of the tournament control. We have Busan, Ilios, Lijiang Tower, Nepal, and Oasis. Escort, we have Dorado, Junkertown, and Rialto. Assault, we have Hanamura, Temple of Anubis, and Volskaya Industries. And Hybrid, we have Eichenwald, Hollywood, and Numbani. The Overwatch League's 2021 season will return with the June Joust on May 21st, starting with a battle between the Paris Eternal and the London... Uh, the London. Wow, I don't know how I read London there. It definitely says, and the Toronto Defiant. So there we go. Paris Eternal and the Toronto Defiant. Now, let's break some of that down a little bit. So obviously we knew this was coming. We knew the June Joust was going to reintroduce hero pools so nothing uh nothing too shocking there um but what is maybe a little shocking is the heroes that have been pulled from rotation uh not because they were not played that much i mean 
Uh, I think most people probably could have guessed that Reinhardt would would likely be uh, cut out of rotation, as well as Tracer. Both uh, heroes were heavy, heavily featured throughout uh, the May Melee tournament. Um, Zenyatta and Sombra may be a little bit more surprising, although I know they certainly were both high on the pick rate uh, uh, percentage there. Um, I definitely would not have... I, I wouldn't have placed Zenyatta as the number one pick. I probably would have guessed someone... Maybe Ana. For some reason, I felt like Ana was going to be taken out. Um, and then Sombra on the other side, I certainly wouldn't have picked Sombra. I would have thought maybe McCree, um, maybe even May. Uh, but then again, I think I just f- tend to forget about Sombra uh, because I personally am not ever going to be touching Sombra uh, because I cannot play her at all. So anyways, I digress. This this definitely will be a, a very interesting meta going into the June Joust. Um, without Tracer, without Sombra, uh, we're going to see... Mm, it's, it's really hard to say what we're going to see, I guess. Um, I, I think the more impactful change is obviously going to be Reinhardt missing. Um, I suspect, and they actually talked about this on Plat Chat, and this also kind of confirmed some of my suspicions, I have a bad feeling and a sneaking suspicion that we're going to see... Uh, shield meta return, which in my opinion was one of the, I don't want to say most boring, but um, one of my least favorite metas. Um, Certainly when we saw Sigma introduced to the game, we saw a shield rotation meta with the double shield being Orisa and Sigma. um, And more often than not, all you saw was teams advancing forward very slowly because of Orisa's shield and Sigma's shield. Sigma's shield obviously giving an element of, uh, of mobility. Um, meanwhile, Orisa's shield just really uh, reinforcing that and giving an element of strength because obviously that shield was at the time, I think had a ton more hit points than it currently does. Now, Obviously, we could see some more interesting things. We could definitely see something like a Roadhog meta again, just like at the end of the 2021 season. I'd be a little bit more shocked to see that because I think teams have uh, have not been uh, playing him and as well as I think he was strong given the current patch that they were playing on at the time as well. Um, so I'm, I'm a little bit more hopeful that we'll see things like maybe a double bubble meta, maybe some Zarya Winston. However, I'm not too sure what you really truly play um, on the DPS role in that sense because Tracer typically complements a double a double bubble a lot more than um, many other uh, DPS heroes. So it'll be interesting to see. Um, you know, I, I think we could see some ball played given we don't have the Tracer to harass the ball. We also don't have the Sombra to hack the ball, so we might see a little more ball. Um, But like I say, if I had to guess, I'm placing my bets on uh, more of a shield-centric meta, more of a double shield-centric meta. Orisa is kind of the wild card there. I'm really not sure how strong Orisa is right now. If she is quite weak, if she's not being played uh, a lot in the high levels, then maybe we see some creative stuff with a Sigma Zarya, maybe? I'm just theorizing here, but uh, that could be interesting. I know we saw Florida play some of that or, or some comps along those lines, uh, especially in the, the final tournament in the May Melee there. So, you know, certainly a team like uh, like Florida, we might see that. Um, you know, thinking along the lines of Florida as well, um, we know they were strong with a Tracer, but we also know they're strong with an Ash. Um so maybe we see Tracer being swapped out for Ash in, in some ways. Um, you know, I think Ash typically complements Tracer, so I don't know how, how that'll go, but I digress. Um, one thing they also talked about on Plat Chat is this could set things up for a Doomfist meta, which, ironically enough, is the other sort of side of the, um, of the double shield meta of Yore that I disliked so much. Um, you know, we had... Sigma, Orisa on the double shield, and then we had, you know, honestly, the teams that could play it best, like San Francisco, uh, with a player who shall remain nameless, on the Doomfist. And that Doomfist really can charge through the shields, can knock up or disrupt a backline, um, and then can use its, uh, uh, its, I forget what the main punch ability of Doomfist is called, simply, again, because I don't typically play a lot of Doomfist either, um, but he can use that as sort of an escape plan to uh, immediately evacuate the system, uh, the system, the fight engagement after disrupting the backline, and hopefully your uh, long-range hit scan can get a few picks um, in that time. So, anyways, 
really interesting. I think the least impactful of all of these is the Zenyatta. Um, we probably won't see a ton of dive because Zenyatta or dive is really reliant on Zenyatta's Discord Orb, of course. But at the same time, um, you know, depending on what teams are, are running on their DPS rotation, um, we could still see a, a fair amount of dive. We could still see Winston Diva um, with some long-range hitscan reliance, assuming the other team doesn't have a ton of shield uh, output there. So anyways, at this point, I'm kind of rambling. I'm just, you know, taking shots in the dark here. That's what we've got for our hero rotation or our, our hero pools. Um, it'll be interesting to see. I do think that the the one sort of significant improvement they've made with hero pools is that, uh, actually, there's there's sort of three parts to this. Number one is that this is the hero pool for the entire June Joust. It will not change week to week or biweekly, so that's great. Um, it'll give that gives teams the opportunity to craft themselves around these hero pools okay we you know we have someone who is a tracer expert but we can't play tracer so we need to find them um another character another hero that they can really excel on and they can really sort of hone their craft over this month period um and the other side of that is also the fact that after this month these heroes will not be locked out again so you know, depending on the patch, we definitely, after the June Joust going into the, I believe it's the Summer Showdown is right after the June Joust, we could definitely see things shift back because Reinhardt will be available again, Tracer will be available again, Sombra and Zenyatta will both be available again as well. Um, and they will not be granted, I mean, going into the, the Summer Showdown, all characters are available again because the hero pool goes away. But then for that final Countdown Cup, um, that's when we will not see these tracers, or these tracers, these characters uh, blocked again. So, again, good improvements to the hero pools. I think uh, the league is doing their best to obviously strike a balance because it was uh, somewhat well known how how much hero pools were not supported, um, not only amongst uh, players uh, and organizations, but I don't think fans really truly found them that engaging as well. Um, you know. I enjoyed the fact that they increased the variety in heroes we saw, but I can appreciate how tough on a team and players that would be, you know, basically being told you can't play the uh, character that you're an expert at or um, that kind of thing. So I think these are positive changes in the hero pools if we have to have hero pools at all. So there we go. The third the third point I was going to make there, of course, being that uh, this is only for the June Joust, and then we'd then have another tournament where uh, all players are available, all characters are available again. So to touch on the last point of the article there, the uh, map rotation, um, you know, control doesn't seem to change. Um, Busan, Ilios, Lijiang Tower, Nepal, Oasis. I have no problem with any of those maps. In fact, I quite enjoy a number of them. Uh, Nepal is probably one of my favorite maps uh, in the game. Ilios is up there as well. Um, you know, the big thing about them being that I don't I don't know that many people actually enjoy control um, as, as a uh, game mode. So that's the side of that there. But if we have to have it, I like those maps. Uh, moving on to Escort, we have Dorado returning, which I have no problem with. Dorado, I think, is a, is a, is a personal fan favorite kind of thing. Um, I certainly like Dorado quite a bit. Junkertown coming into play, I'm a big fan of. I do like Junkertown quite a bit, um, so it'll be exciting to see that one come back into the fray. And Rialto coming in um, will definitely also be an interesting one. Um, you know, we're obviously not going to see um, Havana anymore, which Havana was definitely a contentious one. Um, I think Junkertown probably replaces that as the sort of, air quotes, more contentious map, given how open it is in that first um, stretch. Uh, you know, I think Junkertown and Havana both have that kind of uh, general style to them where, you know, team comes out of spawn and then it's a wide open uh, um, um, pathway for the cart to be pushed um, with lots of, you know, long range uh, avenues for players to be Sniping, getting picks, that kind of thing, um, and sort of sideway, side alleys to to hide down. Um, so anyways, I digress. I'm excited to see Junkertown. I'm also excited to see Rialto. I like Rialto, given its sort of more curvy nature um, with ins and outs and then ending things in the more indoor space. So I like that. Um, Assault, we again have Hanamura, Temple of Nubis, Volskaya. Nothing new there, given Assault. Uh, kind of sucks, and I kind of don't like most of those maps. Um, I'm okay with Temple of Nubis. I'm okay with Hanamura. I digress. I hate Volskaya, as I think we all do. 
Moving on there, Hybrid, I'm glad to see Eichenwald returning. I'm also very glad to see Hollywood. Hollywood is probably one of my favorite maps, so I'm excited to see that come back into play. And Numbani, um, I'm kind of partial to, but uh, a lot of people out there think it's probably one of the best Hybrid maps. Uh, so, yay. Good to see that return. Moving on to our next story. Uh, this one, I'm actually not going to read a ton of the... Uh, uh, I'm just going to read the first paragraph here. So definitely go over to the website, which I will announce here in a second, and uh, give them the read. So this article comes from Nick Garachi over on Inven Global. So that's I-N-V-E-N global.com. I don't think I've ever read a story from this site before. So there you go. There's credit for them. The article reads like this. Gamzu returns to competitive League of Legends with 100 Thieves next. Wow, that was awkward. It's 100 Thieves, not 100 Thieves. After four years of competitive Overwatch, Gamzu is resuming his career as a professional League of Legends player. Gamzu has signed with 100 Thieves next, the amateur team of 100 Thieves, marking the top laners. First LOL esports venture in North America since playing with Dignitas in the 2015 North American League of Legends Championship Series season. So that's actually all I'm going to read from this. I just wanted to highlight that because yay, Gamzu, uh, good to see, uh, you know, a an Overwatch League player uh, making a move over to another esports um, and kind of returning to the scene in a big way, uh, obviously being with uh, 100 Thieves there. So exciting stuff there. Moving on to our next article. This is going to tie in directly to our last article. Um, but this one comes from .esports.com, this time an article by Max Michelli posted on May 18th, which as of recording is today, and reads a little something like this. When does the 2021 Overwatch anniversary event end? The 2021 Overwatch anniversary is now live and players are finally getting the opportunity to unlock new cosmetics, including legendary skins for Sombra, Moira, and Baptiste. The event celebrates the fifth birthday of Overwatch, which was released on May 24th, 2016, and is loaded with cosmetic goodies for players to unlock. Every Overwatch Anniversary event so far has lasted three weeks, and this year's event will follow suit. The 2021 Overwatch Anniversary event will end on June 8th. So that means it runs from May 18th through June 8th. Along with some new skins and sprays that can be purchased for in-game currency or opened in loot boxes, there will also be some weekly challenge player skins. Uh, no, challenge skins. Players will get a chance to unlock just by winning some games. Do, 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 do. Make sure to log in each week during the live event to see which event skin is a reward for the weekly challenge so you don't miss out. So, uh, as I mentioned there, the important thing to highlight is the Overwatch 2021 anniversary event is now live as of the time you're listening to this, um, as of before you're listening to this actually, and will run through June 8th. But, as I mentioned, this links directly into the final story I want to read. Not so much a story, just a little bit more of reporting. And is going to keep us over on .esports.com, this time with an article by Liz Richardson, which reads, All new Overwatch 2021 Anniversary Event Skins. Whether your style is funky, fresh, or modern neon, there's something for everyone in the 2021 Overwatch Anniversary event. Eight new skins will be available this year from May 18th to June 8th, along with bonus cosmetics like new dances and cool player icons. As if all that new content was not, wasn't enough, keep in mind that Overwatch's anniversary event includes huge bonuses for cosmetic collectors. Every seasonal event skin is available throughout the event, from festive summer game skins to the very first crop of Halloween terror outfits. These can be unlocked with anniversary loot boxes or purchased with gold. If you're only here for new skins, shiny content, never fear. Here are all of the new skins debuting in the 2021 anniversary event. The first one we've got here is the Epic Skins. These Epic Skins can only be acquired by completing Anniversary Event Weekly Challenges. Cybermedic Ana. In this Epic Ana skin, available from May 18th to 24th, Ana is doing her best impression of Soldier 76. As Overwatch's resident cool mom, most of Ana's outfits are variations of her usual cape and tactical uniform setup. While she normally goes for a natural look, the cybermedic skin gives Ana a modern electronic upgrade. Her normal eye patch is replaced by a set of goggles that may or may not be 3D glasses, and her cape has gone full LED. 
So I'm looking, uh, go check this article out because obviously you can see all of the uh, screenshot of all of the skins or log into the game and check out the what's new tab. And you can of course see these skins there as well. Um, I like this one, it's it's pretty cool. Um, you know, Ana's epic skins tend to be a little more on the bland side, uh, more so just, you know, color swatch uh, changes, color palette changes. But this one's kind of cool with the glowing, neon glowing pinks uh, underside of her cape there um, as well as you know some pink highlights on her shoes that kind of thing uh, lots of pink and purple very sombra vibes on this one so exciting stuff there next up we have the bird of paradise echo instead of flying echo is going floral this plant-based skin will be available from may 24th to 31st and gives echo a makeover based on a tropical flower the bird of paradise plant grows tall with vibrant yellow orange and pink petals and a regal blue tipped stem in the middle looking at this outfit it seems echo managed to perfectly duplicate the colorful bloom so this one, uh, probably in my humble opinion, one of the weaker ones, um, definitely love the colors on it. It is very vibrant and everything. Um, I wish they went a little more stylized and made it a little more bird-like because it is called Bird of Paradise, but ultimately, uh, you know, pretty cool. Nice to look at, easy on the eyes. Next up, 8-Ball Wrecking Ball. We honestly can't believe it took this long for a designer at Overwatch to pitch a skin for Wrecking Ball that just makes the hamster look like a different kind of ball. This genius skin, available from June 1st to 8th, gives Hammond the look of a stylish pool shark. His dapper little vest may be deceiving, though. Hammond won't, wouldn't hesitate to roll anyone over in his mech, which looks like a combination of an 8-Ball and the wood paneling in a 1970s living room. So... Kind of interesting that Liz makes that comparison. I think the idea is it's like a pool table combined with a, an eight ball. So, you know, I digress. Again, this one this one, and the Bird of Paradise are probably my least favorites of this batch. Moving on to the legendary skins. We have five new legendary skins, which will be available during the anniversary event. These skins can only be unlocked in anniversary loot boxes or purchased for 3,000 gold. First up, we have Junk Food Junkrat. While this is an easy opening for adventurous Overwatch community members to call Junkrat a snack, this legendary skin appears to turn him into an alternate universe version of Willy Wonka. Junkrat has traded his usual ember-filled rags for a pink suit set that includes details like gumdrop backpack straps. Even his rip tire has turned into a sweet nightmare with candy corn spikes. Does this mean Junkertown is also Candyland? Uh, I like this one quite a bit. It's another goofy one for Junkrat, but totally fits with his style and everything. Um, they've they've been going with a lot of like regal royal style skins for Junkrat lately that I love, um, and this one kind of fits with that. It's got kind of it's kind of a mix between that jester and that uh, and the regal skins that he has, um, but obviously with a candy theme to it as well. Um, in my opinion, one of the one of the kind of coolest features of this skin is the rip tire. As Liz mentions there, it's styled like a candy with, with candy corn spikes on it. But what I think is actually probably the coolest part of it is it's actually styled like one of those uh, you know vacuum-sealed cellophane-wrapped candies. So the rip tire actually has this kind of sheen to it that looks like it itself is still in the plastic wrap of the that the candy would come in. So I think that's kind of neat, just kind of shows the graphical prowess of uh, the team at Blizzard there. So moving on from there, uh, probably, I'd say there's probably three, three top skins in this batch. And the, this next one is definitely one of them. It is the Gladiator Doomfist. Just when we thought Doomfist couldn't get any tougher, Overwatch designers have slapped more armor on him. This vaguely Roman skin gives the fighter a plate set based on the mighty lion, including a very ominous spiked helmet. Doomfist's face is also covered in a tight mask that gives him four eyes. All the better to hit that combo with, my dear. Um, so this one, honestly, I like it quite a bit. Although, now that I'm looking at it closely, if you remove the helmet that he's wearing, it could very easily just be a regular Doomfist skin. Um, obviously, his, 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 I don't even know what to call it, his Doomfist fist is decked out in a lot more armor than normal but it could easily be mistaken as just a normal skin but i digress the uh the helmet has kind of a roman uh, trojan style to it which is just awesome and i like this one a lot next up another one of my favorites from this batch is the black cat sombra the cosplay parade continues as sombra puts on her best catwoman impression in this legendary skin Sombra is already used to slinking through the night and causing mischief, but this new outfit gives her claws, ears, and tails to fit the black cat comparison. 
Her whip and sleek haircut are blatant but appreciated throwbacks to many cat burglars and Batman antagonists over the years. So yeah, this one obviously has, uh, in my opinion, heavy inspiration from Catwoman, of course, of Batman fame, uh, but more of a purple tinge to it with some neon blue highlights um, and ultimately just an awesome awesome skin definitely a sexy one i love sombra uh, in terms of her design and her look um, in the game so that's another one of my top three next up we have the venus moira well echo copied one of the most beautiful flowers in the world for this event moira is taking notes from one of the most dangerous the morally gray healer has adopted the look of a venus fly trap a cart fly trap a carnivorous plant known for devouring anything that lands in its grasp Unfortunately for us, that description also fits Moira players who only know how to use damage orbs and never heal. At least the outfit is gorgeous and completely organic. Uh, this one is actually pretty cool. It's, uh, you know, this one also kind of takes hints from Batman. Uh, very, very Poison Ivy-esque um, with its green hues and uh, plant-based uh, outfit. Uh, one of the kind of cooler features of this, or two of the kind of cooler features actually, one is the... Um, the 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 whatever you want to call them chalices that moira uses on her hands to to put out her damage orb and her healing orb um in the palm of her hand there's actually a little flower there which is which is kind of cool um but then the other feature is her the the backpack thing that she wears that kind of powers her abilities is sort of a big old venus flytrap which is dope so Moving on from there, we have the final and my favorite skin of the batch, and it is the Funky Baptiste. If the Shaft theme starts playing in your head as soon as you see this skin, that's a benefit, not a problem. Baptiste finally gets a skin that's as cool as he is with this funky fresh throwback tinged with 1970s style. Not only is the suave healer rocking an afro and wildly patterned shirt, his belt buckle literally says that he's groovy. While fans have been clamoring for his immortality field to be a disco ball, the fact that this backpack is now a lava lamp is enough for us. So again, Liz, Liz highlighting kind of one of the uh, more awesome features of this skin as well. Uh, his backpack has a lava lamp. Um, you know, his belt says groovy. His shirt uh, is just, he, this one is is totally dripping with style. I love this one a lot. And I would I would honestly, one thing that always gets me with these, um, with these events is how, you know, the Halloween events are, all the skins are always themed Halloween. The archive events um, don't usually seem to do that as much. Um, some of the more off events don't seem to always have a consistent theme to them. And this one is kind of no exception, right? We've got, you know, Venus Flytrap Moira and Bird of Paradise Echo, which are both kind of, uh, you know, tropical themed. But then we've got Cybermedic Anna and we've got Gladiator Doomfist. We've got Junk Food Junkrat. And there, there just doesn't seem to be a lot of consistency amongst them. I would love to see them kind of theme things a little more. And if we're getting Funky Baptiste, then make all of the skins that are dropping with this, uh, you know, kind of a funky or a, a disco or a 70s theme to them. Um, you know, if we're going with a Batman villains theme, then sure, have Black Cat Sombra and Venus Moira, um, you know, given that it's very, basically Catwoman and Poison Ivy. But then give, a, a, I don't even know who, um, give Reaper a, a, a straight up Batman skin. That would that would be pretty dope in my opinion. But I digress. Um, most of these skins are honestly awesome, and I'm not actually complaining about them. Um, I'm happy to have them. So now that is, of course, the end of our news segment on uh, this week's show. Um, again, a little bit light on the news. Obviously, I talked quite a bit about some of those topics, um, but light on the news given that we are currently in the middle of our. Uh, we're just past the bye week with no Overwatch League. Obviously, Overwatch League will be returning at the end of this week. So as of uh, the time you're probably listening to this, either in a couple of days or in you know a few days. Um, but given that there's not a ton of news, given that there's no OWL recap to talk about as we did that on last week's episode, and of course there have been no changes to the IBM power rankings with uh, Watson. So nothing, nothing to talk about there either. But of course, that does mean that we have Overwatch this Friday, May 21st. So let's jump on over to the upcoming games. We'll go through my pickums and we will make some predictions for who's going to win and who is not. There's no stopping me. All right, let's get on into my pickums. Pickum, pickum, pickums, pickums. 
Pick them. Pick okay, we got them up now. Uh, so our first game on Friday, May 21st, happening at 1 p.m., is the Paris Eternal against the Toronto Defiant. So yay, another chance to pull out my new Toronto Defiant jersey, uh, which I got just the week before the season returned. Um, I'm going to go ahead, and I know I've said this before, but every time, every time, I don't follow my heart. No, 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 that's not true. Every time I follow my heart and try to be nice to a team and, and give them the benefit of the doubt, I end up screwing myself over. So I am going to say Toronto is going to win this. They are going to get the full three. But this is this is the tough part. I always am like, oh, but Paris could get a map. You know, Paris not looking too bad. Paris uh, beat Vancouver. Uh, I'm not going to give Paris nothing. Nothing. I'm Given Toronto the 3-0 because I personally... No, shit. Crap. Damn it. I just realized the, the thing that Toronto likes to do, on the other hand, though, is they like to, in for all intents and purposes, sub in their beeline um, against these bottom teams. They did it against Vancouver, and that's the map that Vancouver took off them. Uh, so, all right. All right. I know I'm already caving to what I was just saying. I'm going to give Paris one map. I'm going to say Toronto wins it 3-1. I'm going to give Paris the map. Uh, you know, I know Paris has the win against Vancouver. So, hey, in theory, they should be higher than Vancouver. I know Vancouver took a map off Toronto. So if, if Vancouver could do it, Paris could do it. All right, I'll go with that. I'm going with that, and I'm sticking to it. And if you just heard music pop on, I apologize for that. Uh, that was my wife checking on my sleeping baby and turning on her, her music box. So, anyways... Moving on from there, the next game we have is at 2.30 p.m. on Friday, May 21st. And, of course, these are Mountain Time uh, times because that's where I am. And it is the London Spitfire taking on the Florida Mayhem. And I'm going to, uh, like I said, stick into my guns. Florida is 3-0-ing and owing the, the, geez, the Toronto Defiant. The London Spitfire here. Um, you know, Florida proving they are a strong team, making it into the May Melee Tournament, uh, beating Chengdu, uh, coming close to beating Shanghai, at least in their first matchup, um, ultimately losing to Shanghai twice, though. Uh, but I do believe they can take out London. After that, uh, so... I'm going to stick to the pickums here. So I'm going to go through all of the Western region games and then do the Eastern region games. So after that, on Saturday, May 22nd, we have the Paris Eternal playing again, this time against the Washington Justice. Now, Washington, as we all know, stellar record going into the May Melee tournament, even though they did get stomped out and, uh, and you know, didn't make it to, to the trip to Hawaii uh, because of the Florida mayhem. So... Washington Justice going into this weekend with a 4-0 record, and I do not think that changes when they play Paris. I think they're going to get three. Will Paris take a map off them? I'm going to say they won't. I think we're going to see a 3-0 on the Washington Justice side. After that, coming up at 1.30... Okay, these times are in PT. Apparently the Pickums does not adjust to my, uh, my time zone, so I'm just going to read the time list here. So at 1.30 PT... We have the Houston Outlaws taking on the Atlanta Reign. Now, Atlanta, as we know, you know, a uh, little bit of a tough schedule in the in the May Melee qualifiers and everything. They are sitting at a record of one and three, where Houston is sitting at a record of four and zero. Oh. Um, I do think the hero picks are hero pools. Sorry, are going to affect a couple teams pretty significantly. One of them being the Atlanta Reign, the other, honestly, being the Florida Mayhem. So, because of that, I'm going to give it to Houston. But I don't think that Atlanta will be completely beat out by them. I'm going to go 3-1 and one on this for Houston. I could see it being 3-2, given that, you know, Houston... Given that most teams will honestly be affected by the hero pools, uh, and I don't think Houston is an exception to that, but I think Atlanta will be more detrimentally affected by the hero pools. So we're going to go with that. Moving on from there, at... 
3 p.m. PT. We have Toronto playing another game. So both Toronto and uh, Paris playing two days in a row. And this time facing off against the Boston Uprising. So this actually, for Boston fans, this could be a really interesting game. Um, you know, Toronto not looking super strong. Definitely looking like they have some things to sort out. Boston looking maybe on the upswing. Looking like they obviously have some things to sort out. But looking like they could sort those out. So depending on what they've done with their, their time in the offseason. And depending on what Toronto has done. And of course taking into consideration the hero pools. I don't think Boston will be too affected by hero pools. Um, you know, they've got a strong McCree, uh, so I don't think that we'll see too much of a change because of the the uh, Tracer and Sombra lockouts. So this one, I think there's a chance Boston could take this one. There's a chance uh, they could come out strong. And depending on what Toronto shows up, um, they could win it. But... The other side of that is that I think Toronto will have, I don't know if I think, I hope Toronto will have sorted out some of their issues. And I think I, I'm going to put my money that Toronto takes it 3-1. Moving on to our final day of the weekend, Sunday, May 23rd at 12 p.m. PT. We see at the Atlanta Rain playing for the second time this weekend against the London Spitfire also playing for the second time this weekend. And again, I just... I'm not going to give London too much credit because I haven't been impressed with what I've seen so far. Um, you know, there's some speculation that Ping might be playing uh, playing a role in that. But um, ultimately, I'm not going to uh, to give them an inch. And I'm going to say that Atlanta does come out on top 3-0. and after that, at 1.30 PT, we have the Washington Justice taking on the Bust the Buston, the Buston Uprising. Um, Washington, in my mind, coming off of a win on Saturday. Boston coming off of a loss on Saturday. And again, looking at the schedule, Boston does not have an easy schedule. You know, uh, first facing off against Toronto, again, depending on which Toronto shows up. I think Toronto will put up a fight no matter what, but depending on which Toronto shows up, Boston stands a greater or lesser chance of winning or at least coming close. But ultimately, I think they're going to lose to Toronto. I think they're going to be boomed, and I think Washington is going to have an easy roll over them 3-0. and Then our final game of the weekend is the Florida Mayhem returning to take on the Houston Outlaws. And this, honestly, if I had to pick a match to, week to watch all weekend, this is probably going to be it. Uh, the biggest question marks are probably how are the hero pools going to affect Toronto? Not Toronto. My God, I keep just... These words just keep popping into my mouth, and that's not what I meant to say. Um, I think the biggest question mark when it comes to hero pools is how is it going to affect a team like Florida, but also how is it going to affect a team like Houston. So this match, in my mind, is going to be one of the most interesting ones. And honestly, I don't have a good feeling for either of them. I'm going to give it 3-2 to two to the Houston Outlaws. I'm largely playing off of Houston's record in that decision, Although looking at the standings, I mean, Houston is fifth and Florida is sixth. There isn't a huge difference there. Um, I'm excited to see Houston back in play, though. It was it was obviously a big upset. There were big upsets across the board. Big upset that Houston didn't make it into the May Melee. Big upset that Washington didn't make it into the May Melee. And, of course, I think another big upset that the Philadelphia Fusion didn't make it into the May Melee. So, ultimately, I think... Washington, Houston, and Philly are all going to be coming back with a vengeance. And despite hero pools, we'll be looking to roll some people. So I'm going to save that prediction for my uh, my east, my east, western region picks on Friday, Saturday, and Sunday. Now, moving on from there, we're going to backtrack just a little bit to the east region. And the east region is, of course, going to start with a game on Saturday, May 22nd at 3 a.m. Mountain Time with the Guangzhou Charge against the Hangzhou Spark. Looking at the standings here, Guangzhou is in 15th, Hangzhou is in 13th. Both teams have a record of 1-3. and three. Um, Both teams have actually made a few changes in these few weeks off. Um, Hangzhou making some... Co actually, I think both teams making some coaching changes. Uh, I think Guangzhou maybe making a roster change or two. I'm going to give it to Hangzhou, actually. I'm going to say it's going to be a 3-2, a uh, bit, bit of a scrappy battle, and honestly, a bit of a coin toss as well. After that, at 3.30 a.m. PT, we have the Shanghai Dragons taking on the Chengdu Hunters again, and I think, Cheng I, I think Chengdu is going to be just ever so slightly 
Chengdu'd out, and I think Shanghai is probably finally starting to come into their own after a good run in the May Melee. Um, obviously, going into the May Melee tournament, they were a little bit shaky. Um, you know, they made it in there on kind of a kind of a wing and a prayer. I think they made it a little bit off of the blunders of Philadelphia um, in that qualifying game that that ultimately sent Shanghai to the the May Melee finals. But I digress. I think the confidence and the synergy that they've built over the May Melee really means that Shanghai is going to be competing for those top three spots with Chengdu and Philly. After that, we have a game with the New York Excelsior against the Philadelphia Fusion. I'm not buying into any of the New York stonks, and I am giving that to Philadelphia uh, 3-0. After that, on Sunday, at starting at 2 a.m. PT, we have the Shanghai Dragons taking on this sh- the Hangzhou Spark, and I think they are just going to 3-0 them. We then have the New York Excelsior taking on the Guangzhou Charge. And in this case, Guangzhou 15th with a record of 1-3. and three. New York 16th, tied for 16th with uh, the Boston Uprising, but in 16th with a record of 1-3. and three. So again, a bit of another toss-up match. Um, I mean, I'm saying that New York is coming off a loss and Guangzhou is also coming off a loss. Okay, interesting. I'm going to give it to the rookie New York squad because I want to, and I'm going to say it's going to be a close game with a 3-2. to two. Then our final match of the weekend for the Eastern Region is the Philadelphia Fusion taking on the Chengdu Hunters. Philly, in my mind, coming off a win, Chengdu coming off a loss. I think, uh, as I mentioned with uh, Washington and... Um, and uh sorry who was it uh washington and the houston outlaws i think philadelphia is going to be the other team that is coming back with a vengeance and looking to roll people and ultimately i do think chengdu is still a good team um you know like i said these are our top three in the eastern region the shanghai dragons the chengdu hunters and the philadelphia fusion so seeing philly and chengdu take on each other i think the fact is uh philadelphia is going to come out with a fire um and especially coming off a win on saturday I think they're going to take the Chengdu Hunters with a 3-1 to one record. So I'm locking in those predictions. We will see how I do. I forgot to do my pickums for the entire um, uh, May Melee tournament, uh, just given that I did not lock those in the uh, as of recording this show, um, you know, when I went through the pickums, which I'm now kicking myself about. So ultimately... I'm glad that they break these out by uh, by tournament. Uh, if you check the leaderboards on the pickums, you you go to the May Melee and you can see your total points there. You go to the June Joust and you can see your total points there, which obviously nobody has any yet. There is an overall category, but ultimately I'm looking at the June Joust now. So we are starting fresh. So I'm going to jump over and that is going to be that. So with that, that is all we've got for the show so let's wrap things up here excuse me for dropping in and there you have it that was episode 41 of one man watch point this was of course an overwatch podcast where we talk about everything going on in the wonderful world of overwatch so if you're new around here i am sir dr jm that's at sir drjm the big point in me telling you that is to get you to go over to my twitter follow me there and tweet at me with comments questions concerns suggestions anything you want me to talk about on the show and i will be happy to do that because i want to interact with people um and twitter for me is the place to do it you can of course find this podcast on all your favorite podcast services apple Podcasts, spotify google Podcasts, etc etc so give us a follow leave us a review tell your friends um if you leave a review i'll read it on the show and give you credit because i i want you to shine bright like a diamond Now, that is all we have for today's show. So once again, thank you all for listening. Thank you all for tuning in. Thank you all for spreading the good word of One Man Watchpoint. And we will catch you on the flip side later. Thank you.